0: May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May He send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May He remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt offer, sacrifices, Selah. May He grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill. All your petitions those are the first five verses of Psalm 20 which along with Psalm 21 are the Psalms appointed for today Saturday December the 3rd 2021 that Psalm is addressed essentially to the king Um, it would be those statements would be made in in honor of the king that his prayers would be answered that all the things that he undertakes would be successful uh, in the name of the Lord and so that's the point of (laughs) that Psalm um, It's funny, Larry Crabb was one of my favorite authors and speakers as well, and uh, I heard him one time talking, i have forgotten the name of the book that he had just written, but what he was talking about was the idea of uh, praying over his new grandchild, and and the way he wanted to pray was to say almost exactly the opposite of that, that that all his desires wouldn't be granted, and it was largely because it's true (laughs) that, that... Um, difficulties in life become the places where we can grow and where we can flourish and we can become better people is in working through those issues and then coming out the other side. So it's not when everything is hunky-dory and perfect that everything is is good or that we can grow, actually. It's only when we have to deal with difficult times in our lives. And then how do we do that? Do we do it uh, in a healthy way? And do we do it with an eye towards becoming better people in the long run? So in the, remember, we're, we're continuing in the book of Amos and his prophecy. And remember, he's prophesying to the northern kingdom of Israel. So, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? And there's a huge truth in that. Even for us, we need to, to be aware of. When, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, it's a countercultural prayer because we're praying that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, as opposed to the way things are now. And so it's the overthrowing of the kingdoms of earth in order to establish the kingdom of God. And when we pray for that, what we know is, is that in order for that kingdom to be established, literally will require the overthrow of all things. And it will be not a day of joy and rejoicing because many people will die. And, and that, when I say die, I don't mean just die from the earth. I mean die permanently and, and we'll be lost. And so it, it's, it, there is a reason to say woe to you. Who desire the day of the Lord? It's darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? And then the Lord starts to speak. I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animal, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, to the melody of your harps I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And so we're called. That This is exactly what the problem has been. Remember, the complaint against the northern kingdom is that they were fat and happy. They were prosperous, but, but in their prosperity, they were not taking care of all people. They were uh, taking advantage of the poor. They were not... Um, observing the real important parts of the law. They were keeping the feasts and the festivals and, and providing multitudes of sacrifices because of their great wealth, but they were only doing it to bribe him to continue to bless them. They weren't doing justice, mercy, and righteousness, and that's exactly the complaint here. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? In other words, do you think that's the important thing? For 40 years you didn't do that you shall take up sicoth your king and kiun your star god your images that you made for yourselves and i'll send you into exile beyond damascus says the lord whose name is the god of hosts so what he's what they've done remember you may not even remember this cuz i'm not sure whether we covered this is whether or whether we skipped that part of second kings or first kings sorry um where they set up these alternate places for worship up in the northern kingdom to keep them from going to Jerusalem. They set up these two places, but what they do is exactly the same thing that Aaron did in the wilderness. They make golden calves and say, look, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up out of Egypt. I mean, it is an exact replay of Psalm 34, or not Psalm 34, sorry, Exodus 34. And so here, that's what God is saying, is that you're worshiping after these other gods? Go ahead. Go ahead and go after those other gods, but the the cost for your apostasy is going to be that you're driven into exile, and it'll be a permanent exile for the northern kingdom. They'll never come back from this. The southern kingdom will continue to exist for another hundred or so years, but that not the northern kingdom. It will be gone after this, and so that's exactly the judgment that's pronounced upon them. So to— think that, that you're worshiping the Lord and doing the things that are necessary because you provide the sacrifices and, and do the things that are uh, given in the law, is to say, no, you do that for sin offerings and free will offerings and all that, but, but the way you live your life is way more important than that. And that's exactly what Amos says to the people for the Lord. In the gospel today, the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words, that's a smart move. Yeah, let's do that. Let's try and trip him up uh, theologically and see how that works for us. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. It's an odd mix of people because the Pharisees and the Herodians generally would have hated one another because the Pharisees would have seen the Herodians as, as hopelessly compromised because what they've done is is that they basically said, well, I like the, the Roman prosperity, and therefore... I, religion will take a back seat to make an accommodation uh, with Rome. And they were more Romish than they were Jewish. And so the, for the Pharisees, who were you know, sticklers for the law, at least the, the letter of the law, um, to get together with the Herodians, show how desperate they were to try and find something to trip Jesus up. And it's, it doesn't matter who they're making alliances with at this point. It's just whatever will work. And here what they're trying to do is trip him up on on two different fronts at the same time. It's a religious question, but it's also one that could get him into trouble with the civil authorities as well. And so they come and say, teacher, we know that you're true and teach the way of God truthfully. Well, that's kind of you to make that observation. You're true and you teach the way of God truthfully and you don't care about anybody's opinion for you're not swayed by appearances, Well, that's some nice flattery, right? I mean, you you see it coming a mile away, right? That's a little bit telegraphed when you start this whole thing that way. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And that would have been a controversy within Judaism, whether or not you could pay taxes to the emperor because it recognized some other king in the land. Um, It would have been different had they not been in the land, but they're in the land, and so is it okay to pay taxes to Caesar is a legitimate religious question for them to ask. (laughs) And the hope is that they can completely trip him up on this thing. Well, he advocates this, or he advocates that, or, you know, is he somebody who is advocating rebellion and insurrection against the emperor or not? Does he recognize the sovereignty of God in this way? And so Jesus... (laughs) aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius, which is a Roman coin. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and in inscription is this? Well, it would have had Caesar's inscription and his likeness on it. it, it and so that it, what he's saying, and well, we'll get there in a second. They said Caesar's. He said to him, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. So what's the unspoken part of that? So whose likeness and inscription is the most important thing, right? So, so whose likeness do we bear? So what he's saying is, is that, that you can give that money because that money belongs to Caesar. It's obvious that it does because it's got his name, his inscription, and his likeness on it. Well, you bear the likeness and the inscription of God. And so you are to give the things of God to God. And what he's saying here, it fits in with these, that parable, the acted out parable with the fig tree, and then the, the parable about the, um, the um, wicked tenants in the vineyard. The, all these things are the same thing. Jesus is constantly, this last week, he's just calling them to the same thing over and over and over, and that is, is that, that what he's saying is, is that, that I've, I'm here for the fruit and you're not recognizing me you're not accepting me you're you're not providing any of that fruit in fact you're attacking the son of the owner of the vineyard and so it's going to be taken away from you simply because you failed to do what you were supposed to do and keep up your end of the bargain and now we know what's going to happen and when they heard it they marvelled and they left him and went away so in the passage from Jude. We're finishing up the, the little one-chapter book of Jude today, just verses 17 to 25. He says, you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there'll be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It's these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But the problem is <laughs> these scoffers following their own ungodly passions are actually in the church, and that's what it says. It's these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit, and so they're causing divisions in the church because what they what they are are antinomians. They're the people who don't believe the law has any force or effect in the lives of the Christian church, and it's it's because they've twisted and misinterpreted things that Paul had said in his letters Um because what he talked about was the law doesn't save anybody but that doesn't mean the law doesn't mean anything those are two radically different concepts and that's exactly what what you've got going on here you've got people who have decided that their lives don't matter because well they have faith they believed at one time and this is a gospel that gets preached in America relatively regularly that we don't we don't expect people to not become you know to to actually become more like Christ and put away things like you know, immorality and all that. We No, you can have your cake and eat it too, as far as the church is too often concerned. But we've sold them a false bill of goods and a salvation that won't be. We've sold them grace that's no longer grace. We've sold them a bill of goods, and it's going to lead them straight to hell in the end if, we're, if we don't step up and tell people, your life actually matters not just a one-time profession of faith, your life matters, the way you live. It's intended to be transformed by the power of his Holy Spirit, beginning with the renewing of your mind. He said, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. And that's a good piece of advice that I mean, it's it, that's the perfect thing to say is to have mercy on those who doubt because I've been there and I've done that. I lived a fair chunk of my life not doubting what Jesus had done. I didn't doubt the the truth and the reality I don't think I did anyway of of the facts of things but but I doubted. The so many other things that I just couldn't come to this complete faith where I was absolutely certain, and I couldn't get there because, well, the Holy Spirit's required to get there. And then I struggled with the idea of, I, I don't know, you know, I don't, there's so much that I feel like I don't know, and then I didn't have any apologetics training, and so I I would, people would ask me questions that I couldn't answer, and those questions caused me to doubt. And that's part of the reason that I, that I blogged this stuff for so long and I've now done these podcasts over such a long period of time is so I can be immersed in the Word of God and, and that's important for us as we walk out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that's what Paul's, or not Paul, but Jude is saying, have mercy on those who doubt and save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And It was, it was flee from immorality, which is, it's not that difficult. It's, it, it's something that everybody has told us. It's what Jesus said. It's what Paul said. It's what Peter said. It's what John said, that we've got to flee from these things, that we need to, to stay away. It's, it's not creating a fence around the law to say that. It's asking us to be aware uh, that sin matters. That interpersonal sin matters, and that personal sin matters. We can't be completely libertarian with respect to sin, and that's kind of what is being encouraged here. It's not just liberalism with respect to sin, it's, it's also libertarianism with respect to sin. So it's not just easing the restrictions, and it can't be, well, it's not hurting anyone, largely because you can't know that. <laughs> It's impossible to know that. So we've got to be careful about the way we handle the things of God. And then he finally wraps it up by saying, Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen a beautiful way to wrap it up, but it's a, what it is what it is a warning. And the warning is judgment is real. Judgment begins at the house of God. Judgment on sin hasn't changed. There will still be judgment on sin. You can't engage in or indulge in sin and, and still say, well, it's okay because I have faith. That's the whole message of the book of Jude, is to say that if God punished the angels who sinned, then he will absolutely punish you as well for your sin. And so what it's saying is righteousness matters. Personal righteousness matters. Who we are matters. And that's the message all the way along. It's not a matter of keeping the law. It's a matter of living a Christian life, having a Christian attitude in all things, having the mind of Christ in all things. Let us pray for that today.